As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had been a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb, watching. The very next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to go see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he is still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. We request that you see us at the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, then we will be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled, and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards shook with fear as they saw him and fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Do not be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has been raised from the dead. He is good. Just as he said what happened. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him here. Remember what I told you. The, ro- the woman ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened but also filled with great joy. They went to tell the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And then they ran to him, gasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. And they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. Then they said to the soldiers, You must say, Jews' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and stole his body. If the governor finds out what happened, we'll stand up for you so you don't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Well, let me just uh, add my welcome uh, on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, Wonderful uh, to see you all here. Uh, I love waking up 
on Easter Sunday. I mean, it's the one day on the calendar where millions of people the world over wake up to the best news in the world. Because what we hold dear in our hearts traces its origin to one specific morning on one specific day 2,000 years ago. Isn't that fantastic? Well, let's give God a big hand this morning. For his awesome love for us. This event is so great that it split history into A.D. and B.C. What brings millions of people out to churches today here in Edmonton and all around the world is the belief that on a Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus got up from the grave that he was lying in. He pulled off the grave clothes and he walked out of the tomb. I mean, that's the resurrection. We believe it and we celebrate it and we rejoice in it today. Marg and I have just returned uh, from uh, Michigan where Marg had four glorious weeks welcoming a little granddaughter into the world and helping everybody with all of the adjustments. And I only managed six days. But I did bring 300 pictures home. Would you like to... Uh, uh, maybe another day. But we woke up last Sunday morning in Michigan. And our family goes to a wonderful church. It's a church plant, just very much like what we're doing here in southwest Edmonton. And it was time to go to church and uh, then get on a plane and come home. And we said all the tearful goodbyes and left for the airport in our rented vehicle, turned the vehicle in, brought in the luggage, got it all uh, checked in, and then we waited for an hour. And we were informed finally that the plane would not be leaving as scheduled. Come back tomorrow. Now that can make you very unhappy. I looked at Marg and wondered if she was very unhappy. She was not unhappy. She said, well, we'll just go back and spend the night with the grandchildren, which we did. And so we woke up the next morning to the delightful squeals of uh, little kiddos and, Grandma, read me a story. Grandma, play this game with me. Well, you can only play that trick once and about airplanes not flying. And then it really is time to go. And eventually uh, the airlines do get it right. And you have to go home. But it was fun to wake up that morning and see the kids. And it's fun to wake up this morning because it's waking up on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. I really like 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Uh, this is a wonderful uh, passage to reference. It's my favorite passage when called upon to do a funeral uh, because it's a passage that's filled with such hope and such victory. So I'd like to direct you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, and remind you of just one verse today. One verse. It's the 20th verse. It's on the screen. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. I have two points. The first one is waking up from death. 
waking up from death. We know the story very well. But how refreshing it is to, to see this story through the eyes of someone, a child perhaps, hearing it for the very first time. It's quite remarkable. Uh, one little five-year-old witnessing an Easter drama was just overwhelmed with the crucifixion. His heart was so broken at all that they did to Jesus and how badly they treated him. And he looked at his mommy like, how, how sad this is. But then when he saw that Jesus was alive, that he came out of the grave, he looked at his mom and said, he's still alive, mom, he's alive. And he began to clap. Just the honesty of a little five-year-old. And another little boy who knew the story also turned to a buddy and said, he's dead now, but he'll be back. He'll be back. Jesus Christ woke up on Sunday morning, took off those grave clothes, and he walked out of the tomb. The women came to anoint his body, and they discovered that the tomb was empty. The angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen just the way he said he would. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul paints a beautiful picture of the gospel. The very heart of the message of Christ is found in verse 3. All you really need to know, I mean, we can get complicated, but all you really need to know, it's right here. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Paul is very meticulous in describing the appearances of Jesus to various people to substantiate the fact that he rose from the dead. He speaks in this chapter of the emptiness of not believing in the resurrection. It doesn't mean anything if you subscribe to a bunch of religious dogma and teaching, and yet you deny the resurrection, the distinctive of the Christian faith. How well he says it, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. But then this great statement in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, I can't stand here this morning and prove to you that Jesus came back from the grave. As one writer put it, we can't put our faith in a test tube or, or show a video to provide evidence. Jesus won't physically come and stand behind this lectern so that we can see him visibly. But there is ample evidence to believe. We have the eyewitness testimony in Scripture. We have the testimony of millions of people whose lives have been changed by Christ over the centuries. We have the Holy Spirit convicting us in our hearts today that he's alive. And as you sense the Holy Spirit in your heart today, you'll, you'll just know he's there. You'll just sense his presence. That's the confirmation of who Jesus is and that he's alive. So you have the option to examine the evidence and believe it. Or to disbelieve it. Winston Churchill chose to believe it. Churchill <laughs> arranged his own funeral. Uh, there were stately hymns in St. Paul's Cathedral and an impressive liturgy. 
But at the end of the service, Churchill had an unusual event planned. When they said the benediction, a bugler high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral on one side played taps. The universal signal that the day is over. Then there was a long pause. And then a bugler on the other side played Ravalli. The military wake-up call. And that was Churchill's way of communicating that while we say good night down here, we say good morning up there. Now, why would Churchill have planned that? Because he believed in Jesus Christ, who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When a man steps out of the grave, out of his own grave, he is anything that he says he is. And he can do anything that he says he can do. That's a fact. When a man steps out of his own grave, he is anything that he says that he is, and he can do anything that he says he can do. And so it is that uh, Jesus Christ awoke from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, And he is who he says he is. And that's our first thought, waking up from death. The second point is this. There's a wake-up call for everyone for eternity. There's a wake-up call for everyone for eternity. Do you notice how Paul phrases this? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who've died. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Verse 23 adds clarification. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Christ is the first in a long line of people who will experience the resurrection. We're part of the great harvest yet to come. Given that you die before Christ returns, you will experience the resurrection as well. And if you want to know about your resurrection, all you have to do is study the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died, there was a separation of spirit from body. Just before he died, our Lord said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he said to the thief on the cross, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. When we die, our spirits go immediately to be with God and our body goes to the grave. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. After three days, Jesus in spirit returned to the tomb to inhabit the same body. He took off the grave clothes. He displayed the marks of his crucifixion, the nail marks in his hands and feet. And if you recall what Jesus said earlier in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 28, he said, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. And you know, they raised the question in Paul's day, 
And we ask it today. It's a common question. What kind of bodies will we have at the resurrection? And the illustration that Paul uses is one that we can all understand. It's like taking a shriveled up kernel of wheat or a shriveled up uh, corn and putting it into the ground. And as you know, it decomposes. And in a couple of weeks, a little plant comes peeking through the ground and you see it. And it grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon we're going to see this phenomena all over the province. At least we're hoping that uh, the sun will come out and it'll be warm enough. And, and we can give that process a little bit of time. And the wheat develops and grows and grows and grows until it develops a head with a dozen kernels or more. It's the process of dying in order to live. So Paul says this is what happens in death. We take a petrified, shriveled up body and we put it into the ground and it decomposes. But one day by the power of God, it's going to come up a glorified body. And one day our spirit will be reunited with this body. And by the power of God, a new glorified body will emerge. And here's how Paul puts it. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised to glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. I've been hearing about this book, Heaven is for Real. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I decided I need to find that book and read it to find out what everybody's talking about. Anybody here read it? There's a few people that have picked it up. It's about a four-year-old boy uh, by the name of Colton who's had an experience of dying or nearly dying and going to heaven. His dad is a pastor in Midwest United States. But it's a fascinating read. And uh, little by little, this four-year-old, would he got better and he got well again and, and, and back to, to normal, normalcy again. And little by little, this little four-year-old would say some things that revealed that he had an unusual experience. How could this little boy know the things that he knew? How could he have known about the relatives that had died long before he was even born? How could someone so young speak of heaven and Christ and the glories that await Christians? How could he know all these things that he'd never been taught, never been shown, and only four years old? Colton said that he met his little sister, uh, whom no one ever told him about in heaven, and his great-grandfather who died 30 years before Colton was born. And he shared impossible-to-know details about each. He described the horse that only Jesus could ride and how really big God is and how big his chair is and how the Holy Spirit shoots down power from heaven to help us. It's quite a story. It's worth the read. 
It's not the gospel. You read something like that not to formulate theology, but simply to value someone else's experience. But it is a reminder that heaven is for real, and Jesus is for real. And he died on a cross, and he rose again. Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So whoever you are, uh, if you have taken the all-important step of faith, you're living in a new reality. The power of the resurrection is at work in your life. And you can wake up on Easter Sunday alive to Christ. I read the story of a man who took his son and six of his son's friends to the carnival for his birthday. And he said as they came up to each ride that he had a roll of tickets. And he'd give one ticket to his son and one ticket to the next six kids who came with him. He said one ride, all of a sudden, there was a seventh handout. He looked down at that little boy and he said, well, who are you? And the boy said, I'm your son's new friend. <laughs> and he told me that if I was his friend, his father would give me a ticket. And that's what Jesus did for us. He came to this world. He died. He rose again. And in so doing, he gave us a ticket for heaven. It's a ticket called grace. You don't have to be good enough to go to heaven. You simply have to take the ticket called grace. And that means to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ because he's already paid the price for you. The resurrection means that I'm free from having to be good enough to try to get to heaven. Eternal life is a gift that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. The resurrection is confirmation that Jesus really is the Son of God and that he rose from the grave. And because of who he is and what he's done for us, we're forgiven. We don't have to do anything. It has been done for us. Have you received the gift of forgiveness? The gift of love that Jesus offers to you? Have you said yes in your heart to Jesus Christ? You have to ask him for it. He won't push it on you. You just say to God, I want to put my trust in you. I want to commit my life to you. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And I'd like to invite you this morning to read a prayer with me. The words are going to show up on the screen. In fact, I'd like you to read it in unison with me, if you would. Dear God, I believe Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, your son, and that he proved it by rising from death. Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I humbly ask you to forgive my sin. I'm sorry for those things in my life which have separated me from you. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now those are words. Words to a prayer. But they become very personal and they become very real when you sincerely mean them from the bottom of your heart. I'm going to read those words again for you. And if they're the words that you've been somehow trying to form in your heart and your mind, 
uh, just say them in the quietness of your heart. Let it be your personal prayer. And uh, pray them silently as you make that personal commitment to Jesus. Dear God, I believe Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, your son. And that he proved it by rising from death. Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I humbly ask you to forgive my sin. I'm sorry for those things in my life which have separated me from you. I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior.